Meanwhile, recorded live in the Lava Lamp Lounge, it's somewhere in between a radio zine. News, music, culture, stories, and more. This show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to an annual celebration worth remembering. It's issue 55. Happy New Year! Well, we made it. Another year in the bag. That is to say, we're half in the bag on New Year's Eve, trying to figure out how we're going to cope with the coming year. A situation that we find ourselves in almost every single year. And with recent events, this sensation has had a new and extreme sort of weight to it, where just getting through the year does seem like a pretty incredible situation where we're not quite sure how we did it. And uh, a lot of us are really not sure how we're going to make it through the next one either. It's the kind of conundrum that uh, certainly makes any kind of celebration fraught with peril and any kind of consideration of what's come recently to be difficult and certainly could lead to some weeping, crying, or other family drama, which we don't necessarily want. Not on New Year's Eve. And so we are left with a bit of a dilemma. How do we celebrate? Why do we celebrate? Are we going to even try to celebrate? (laughs) Do we have to work today? Oh my gosh. For those who are punching a clock today, well, thank you. You really do help keep this country running smoothly. But for the rest of us, we kind of have the day off. And, uh, well, there's certainly a lot of things happening that uh, might lead us to some sort of celebration, some sort of gathering some sort of way that we are going to mark this occasion or passing in some useful or fruitful sort of way. But why are we doing it? What's the point? I mean, how did we get to the situation where December 31st and January 1st have this particular back-to-back relationship and that we find the need to celebrate it over and over and over again? We're like scientists who are recreating an experiment endlessly, hoping that we'll get different results each time, knowing that we won't, almost having some sort of psychosis or insanity to the way that we approach this problem. Yes, December 31st, let's celebrate. Again. But why? To answer this question, I actually turned to somebody who uh, I've become a bit of a fan of recently, Lance Geiger, uh, also known as the History Guy, who uh, does these excellent and very precise documentaries about, well, all sorts of things. And they're done with a very kind of PBS, NPR sort of flavor to them, and, and more importantly... Lance is a big fan of the bow tie. So uh, when it came to the history surrounding this particular date and why we celebrate New Year's the way we do, I felt like it was probably time that we gave Lance a call and asked him, where does all of this come from? 
what is the story of New Year's? And can you tell us, please? Even in so much as we finally got to a point where most of the world agrees on what day it is, January 1st was not always universally recognized as the new year, not even here, in the United States. And how it came to be is history that deserves to be remembered. Calendars are funny things. Days and years are measured by things like the Earth's orbit, rotation, tilt, and the orbit of its moon. The relationship between these are complex. For example, there are approximately 365.24225 days in a year. So a calendar that tries to convert a year into a number of days will slowly be off with the solar seasons. The development of calendars that accurately represent both astronomical events and allow to come in language among cultures took millennia. And even when the people of the Earth could agree on a calendar, the decision regarding when an old year ends and a new one begins is related to things like politics, religion, and culture. So while it might make sense to celebrate the beginning of a year, which can be seen as a period of renewal and has been celebrated at least since around 2000 BC in ancient Mesopotamia, it's not so easy to decide when to celebrate. In fact, in a sense, every day is a new year, and that every day is approximately 365.24225 days since the same day the previous year. So how do we come to see January 1st as the important day to begin the year? The modern calendar is largely a product of Rome, but also largely a product of legend. The first Roman calendar was said to have been created by Romulus, the founder of Rome, who by legend was the son of a princess and the god Mars and raised by a wolf, might or might not be based on an actual historical figure. And while historians disagree over what is legend and what might be based on fact in terms of Romulus, it is clear that the city was established sometime around the mid-8th century BC. It's traditionally considered to have been founded on 752 BC. And it's clear that among the traditions established in the era and thus attributed to Romulus was the Roman calendar. But that calendar was a lunar calendar and is based on the cycles of the moon. Lunar calendars were not new and whatever Rome used was almost certainly derived from the Greeks or Babylonians. But the problem is that the lunar cycle, which is based on the moon's orbit with respect to the line joining the sun and the earth, is not even evenly divisible by either days, that is the earth's orbit on its axis, a lunar cycle is about 29 and a half days, or by the year, that is earth's orbit around the sun. 12 lunar cycles is about 11 to 12 days shorter than a solar year. Thus, the process of syncing the calendar with the seasons and the solar year was a bit, well, loosey-goosey. The early Roman calendar is a matter of legend, and that is, we have no example of it. It is merely described in later histories and might or might not have been real. The best evidence, based on later descriptions, said that the calendar included 10 lunar months, some of 30 and some of 31 days, with the remaining 50-some days left organized into a glob called merely winter. If the calendar started to look off, that is, months seemed to occur in the wrong seasons, it was fixed by adding days here and there until everything seemed back relatively in place. This would have been understandably confusing, and early Romans likely celebrated the new year on the vernal equinox. That is the day when the Earth's tilt places the sun directly over the equator so that the day and the night are equal lengths. But that early Roman calendar that might not have existed was reformed by the Roman Republican calendar, which did exist, and was by legend created by the second king of Rome, Numa Pompilius, who, like Romulus, might have merely been legend or might have been based on a real person, and who ruled from around 715 BC. Numa Pompilius is considered to be the originator of a number of Rome's most important political and religious institutions. Among his reforms was to add two months to the calendar, which would have been less messy in that 12 lunar cycles is much closer to the length of a solar year than 10. 
One of these new months was Ionarius, named after the god Ionis. Ionis was a god with two faces, one looking back and the other forward, and represented time, transitions, duality, endings, and the beginning and end of war, war and peace. It made sense then that the first day of the month, called the Calend of Ionarius, or January, would be considered the beginning of the year. The change didn't occur immediately, and that is some people probably continued to celebrate the vernal equinox as the new year, but recognizing the calendar of Unarius, or January 1st, as the beginning of the new year became much more common after 153 BC, when that became the date when new Roman consuls were inaugurated. The Roman Republican calendar was, however, still imperfect, as 12 lunar cycles creates a 355-day year, which would again throw months off the solar seasons. This could be addressed by what was called an intercalation, adding extra days to February every other year. But the intercalations were not declared regularly. During wars they were sometimes forgotten, other times they were added as a means of extending the tenure of a politician. The process could be quite confusing, so much so that an average Roman would have trouble knowing the date. It got so bad that the years before calendar reform were called the Years of Confusion. This was addressed in 46 BC with the introduction of the Julian Calendar. The Julian calendar was created under Julius Caesar, who was a real person. The calendar was created with the help of Greek mathematicians, who had long before calculated that a year was 365.25 days. The Julian calendar had three regular years of 365 days, followed by one leap year of 366 days. By then, the years of confusion had become so confusing that the year 46 BC had 455 days in order to write the calendar. The Julian calendar continued to use the calendar of Unarius as the beginning of the new year. But the Julian calendar only applied to Rome, while most other ancient calendars eventually adjusted to the 365.25 day year, charts were needed to convert dates between different calendars, and those other calendars often did not consider January 1st to be the start of the year. But the Christianization of Rome under Constantine the Great connected the Julian calendar to faith with the liturgical calendar, the calendar that is used to track the various Christian feast days. Thus, Christian Europe adopted the Julian calendar as they were converted to Christianity. But the liturgical calendar was then a challenge to the use of January 1st as the beginning of the year. As January 1st did not have particular religious significance, many countries started to recognize important feast days as the start of the year. The medieval Catholic Church decided at the 765 Council of Tours to make Easter the beginning of the new year. Thereafter, different days were celebrated as the beginning of the new year in Christian Europe, including December 25th to honor the birth of Jesus, and the 25th of March on the Feast of Annunciation, the day that the angel Gabriel was supposed to have visited the Virgin Mary. This would have placed the new year very close to the same time it had originally been celebrated by the Romans. However, calendars continue to be produced showing the year from January to December, and the January 1st date is marking the beginning of the new year continue to be used as the beginning of the civil, if not the religious, new year. By the 16th century, a flaw in the Julian calendar had become obvious. A year is not, in fact, 365.25 days long, but slightly short of that, meaning that the Julian calendar added too many leap days at one every four years, and after many centuries that was causing drift, seen most notably in the timing of Easter, which occurred the first Sunday after the full moon after the vernal equinox. The problem was addressed by Pope Gregory XIII, who squared up the difference with a 1582 reform that removed one leap year out of every four except for those years evenly divisible by a hundred. The papal bull that defined the Gregorian calendar did not explicitly specify January 1st as the beginning of the new year, but implied so with tables of saints' days that were listed between January 1st and December 31st. 
However, not all nations immediately adopted the Gregorian calendar as the papal bull only had authority in the papal states and the Catholic Church. Many nations, especially Protestant nations, held onto the Julian calendar despite its leap year flaw. One example was Britain, including the British colonies, who doggedly refused to accept a Catholic calendar named after a pope. Even when they were finally essentially compelled to make the change in order to match other European states, they adopted the same calendar under a different name with the Calendar New Style Act of 1750, which went to the new calendar in 1753 after having to remove 11 days from 1752 to write the calendar. Prior to 1753, the British, including its American colonies, celebrated the New Year on March 25th. In fact, Britons had celebrated the New Year originally on January 1st under the Julian calendar, with Christianization of the island had moved the celebration generally to Christmas Day, December 25th, by the 7th century, and had moved it back to January 1st in 1067, and then moved it to match the Feast of Annunciation, March 25th, in 1155, where it stayed until the new calendar in 1753. Over time, the Gregorian calendar has come to be recognized almost universally, at least as the civil calendar, but many religious calendars are still maintained to represent religious dates, and the date that represents the beginning of the New Year is actually celebrated on different dates in different places around the world, but still January 1st is generally considered to represent the beginning of the civil New Year, it's a date upon which the numbering of the years is based. And because of this discrepancy, some cultures actually celebrate the New Year twice. One example is China. The Chinese New Year is based on a lunar calendar and occurs on the second new moon following the winter solstice, which is usually sometimes around the end of January and the beginning of February. But still, January 1st is a national holiday in China, even though it's not considered to be as important a national holiday as the Chinese New Year. Thank you again, Lance Geiger, for your information about where our New Year's come from and a little bit of the history of how complicated pinpointing that day actually is. You can find his work at patreon.com forward slash the history guy, all one word, where he makes short documentaries about history and, well, that's probably all you need to know. Finding this one that was actually released 2021 in January made a lot of sense because it definitely helped kind of solidify things that were not exactly clear in my head. Every single year is the worst that it's ever been. You'll never think a year will ever be good again. Every single year is the worst that it's ever been. You'll never think a year will ever be good again. Person or when she broke up over the phone. You think you're your boss is a paranoid psycho or Christmas Day when the plumbing broke. Your best friend dating your sister, getting kicked out of your first band, fighting a roommate on the balcony when he thought you stole his beer. Every single year is the worst that it's ever been. You'll never think a year will ever be good again. Every single year is the worst that it's ever been. You'll never think a year will ever be good again Stolen ideas and stolen records Dream jobs lost to hipster f***s Red increases and dying friends Planet killed by thoughtless pigs Two break-ins and eight-month cycle One on your f***ing anniversary Every time the same old bull But let's get excited about next week If you grew up in an era before the internet And let's say after 1972 then 
this is probably how you celebrated New Year's Eve. Hi, this is Dick Clark, live in Times Square in New York City, and for the last 14 years we've been here. The temperature is 43 degrees, by the way, here in Times Square. We will also be going to Las Vegas, Nevada, and to New Orleans, Louisiana. Fabulous celebrations happening everywhere tonight. It's ABC's salute with the best music from New York, Hollywood, London, the place to be, New Year's Rockin' Eve. Let's go to the party! London, and live from New Orleans, Las Vegas, and Times Square in New York, ABC invites you to the hottest party of the year, Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve 1986. Beginning in 1972, and originally on NBC before it moved to its final home, Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve has been an institution for almost 50 years, and the contract with ABC runs until 2024. So we're still going to be recognizing Dick Clark's influence on the world for a while. And chances are ABC isn't going to give up this cash cow. Something that has been on the air as long as this has is certainly going to be something they want to keep in their pocket. But this is one of those shows that defies all logic and reason in terms of continuing to exist. And in a way, it's kind of worth mentioning just for the novelty of how strange it is. In the early 70s, Dick Clark was certainly on the way out. American Bandstand wasn't really the show that it once was, didn't have the same sort of power or certainly the same kind of hold on popular music that it did in the 50s. And Clark as a personality was sort of kind of winding down. I mean, that sort of host definitely didn't fit into the style of the late 60s or 70s. And as America was changing, Dick Clark just felt like a throwback, some sort of anachronism that wasn't really appropriate in the modern era. And then he had this idea to help televise the Times Square New Year's Eve parties that were so popular and actually were kind of a big deal. Television was moving to covering just about everything under the sun, and Dick Clark certainly wasn't some new guy who hadn't had any experience in the area. In a lot of ways, he helped develop television broadcasting at its infancy. Nonetheless, the pitch for him to host a rockin' New Year's Eve party definitely didn't seem like it was going to take off at first. Ratings weren't great, and to be honest, people were out celebrating. Watching television on New Year's Eve didn't really feel like the way that you were supposed to do this. Weren't you supposed to be in the crowd that Dick Clark was covering? Strangely, bizarrely, miraculously, against all odds, this show continued year after year after year. By the time I was 10 years old and watching the episode that we just heard a clip from, I was certainly already of the impression that this had been going on forever and probably would continue forever. And the momentum of the New Year's Rockin' Eve certainly speaks to how important it has become in terms of a cultural institution, that is. Once Dick Clark was no longer able to host, they could not get rid of the name. 
And in spite of host changes over the years, the program is still called Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve. His death grip on the program continues to this very day. Soon enough, ABC is going to have to actually face the fact that this relic of television broadcasting certainly doesn't need to persist into the internet era. People these days gather around their computers or at their friends' houses, or around their phones for that matter, and they're able to ring in the new year just as easily as they were when they could watch the television version. In a way, all sorts of appointment viewing has already kind of died off. And shows like this, or sports, or news, or any of the last few things that we really demand to have live in our lives, are also sort of relics. These uh, vestiges of broadcasting that we've had since the beginning, and we don't really know how to present them any other way. Certainly, kids have kind of figured it out already. All of this stuff has an internet analog that we don't need a television for. So as Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve starts to round that corner past its 50th anniversary, its original creator and host nowhere in sight, unfortunately, it sometimes strikes me as odd that this thing continues. And it strikes me as even odder that my first thought when I want to celebrate the New Year's is, when's Dick Clark's show start? That probably has more to do with how old I am than anything reasonable at this rate anyway. Should all acquaintance be forgotten? And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Somewhere in between a radio zine. Happy New Year! Issue 55 contained the stories January 1st and the Forgotten History of the New Year and Dick Clark's Rockin' Impact on New Year's. These were read and assembled by Austin Rich with the help of Lance Geiger. You can support Lance's work at patreon.com forward slash the history guy, where you can help him bring new history documentaries to the world through your support. If you thought an old king or Dick Clark's continued influence on New Year's Eve is interesting, you'll find this Edison tidbit worth chewing on too. On this date in 1879, none other than Edison himself got into the spirit of the holiday and put on a massive demonstration of incandescent lighting in Menlo Park, New Jersey, which sort of kick-started the idea of illuminating public places and cities for New Year's Eve. But it wasn't until 1907 that the first New Year's celebration in Times Square took place, at that time called Longacre Square. Over the years, Manhattan has doubled down on Edison's idea and uses an incredible amount of lighting create a place where the public can celebrate New Year's Eve and watch the ball drop 
in spectacular fashion. So, this New Year's Eve, thank Mr. Edison once again for his continued impact on basically everything that we do or experience on a daily basis. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. In the long-standing tradition of most zines, there is an open submission policy here. If you have a story, music, or poetry that you'd like to send in or read, or you just want to be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com? And that's going to do it for us this week, this month, and this year. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no program. Be seeing you.